Welcome to the October 2022 news episode of Turning Season Podcast, your regular dose of active hope in the great turning, bringing you news and deep conversations about our adventure toward a life-honoring, life-sustaining way of being human on Earth. This show is for every one of you who's awake to our multiple crises, feels your love for life on Earth, and chooses to participate in cultivating ways of life we can believe in, making a life-honoring present even in the face of an uncertain future. I'm your host, Leilani Navar. I'm a facilitator of the work that reconnects, an acupuncturist and dream worker, and a believer in the power of conversation. This podcast is one way the great turning happens through me. Welcome and thank you for being here. I've been enjoying covering a story from each of the three dimensions of the great turning in these news episodes. So again, today we'll talk about something happening right now that is part of a shift in consciousness, an example of the development of life-sustaining systems, and something that represents a holding action to protect the web of life. In the shift in consciousness dimension, I want to talk about something that probably relates more to your personal daily life than many things I've talked about on the show, which is fixing our electronic devices. Why is it so hard? Why, when we as a species, as an ecosystem, put so much human labor and resource extraction and ecosystem destruction in, to get the minerals to make our phones and our computers and our car batteries, why do we so quickly have to throw them away and get new ones? Why are we creating literal tons of toxic e-waste and dumping, burying, burning it on the land and in the water we live with and depend upon and making this part of our legacy to our children and even to our future selves? A recent report released because of Microsoft shareholder activism showed that repairing rather than replacing smartphones would reduce greenhouse gas emissions from those devices by 92%. So 92% of the greenhouse gas emissions associated with smartphones comes from their manufacture. So why do we keep replacing them? You may have heard of planned obsolescence which is a name for the practice of purposefully designing products to break quickly or become obsolete for some other reason in the short to midterm, which encourages sales of new products and upgrades. There's also perceived obsolescence, which we see with fashion, where clothes that are in perfect condition are perceived as needing to be replaced because they're out of fashion. And this kind of perceived obsolescence can also happen when we think we need the next best, faster, better model of whatever device we're using. Planned obsolescence has actually been banned in some countries, and France now has a repairability index so that people can choose between products based on which is easier or which is even possible to repair. People want this kind of information not only for these ecological reasons, but also because people want to have the option of repairing their own vehicles and devices, which has actually been becoming more and more difficult. 
listening to the founder of the repair website, iFixit, on the podcast, How to Save a Planet, recently, I learned about the culture of production that is actually hostile to repair, like Apple making AirPods that you actually cannot physically open without breaking. So it's impossible to replace the battery when it fails. You have to throw the AirPods away and buy new ones. Or having digital error codes on John Deere tractors that depend on proprietary software, meaning farmers cannot even diagnose what's going wrong with their vehicle without taking it to a dealer. So there's now a right to repair movement going on and a congressional bill here in the U.S. to support that. The bill, H.R. 6566, would say that it is no longer a violation to bypass encrypted software for the purpose of the diagnosis, maintenance, or repair of digital electronic equipment. So it would no longer be illegal to find your way into the software of a device or a vehicle that you own to figure out what's going wrong with it and fix it. There are also proposed state laws to require that if a manufacturer has a dealer network that does repair for their products, they also have to make the same parts, tools, and supply chains that are available to those dealerships, make those available to independent repair shops and consumers, which is the same type of law that we have for cars right now so that local auto mechanics can exist along with dealerships. So there is some progress on this because there's pressure on manufacturers from multiple angles. Apple is beginning to make their service manuals available and sell parts. Google and Samsung have begun considering a repair and parts marketplace. And I think this is something that we will continue to see move in a positive direction because people do want that empowerment to fix their devices and have them last longer. I see this as a shift in consciousness away from a disposable economy, a linear vision where we extract, use, and then throw away, although there is no away, to more of a consciousness about respecting and keeping in circulation what we have extracted. And considering the costs of something, not only in relation to a single company's expenses and revenue and profits, but the costs to the whole web of stakeholders who are connected to what's being produced. Now, I don't know about you, but usually when I think about shifts in consciousness of the great turning, it's actually easier for me to imagine a totally different way of communicating, of being entertained, and to question whether we need our devices and our cars to be fulfilled human beings. It's easier for me to think about shifting our consciousness to where we are not even participating in this type of extractive, consumeristic economy than it is to think about how we can shift our consciousness within the current model. And yet, here I am. I am recording, and you are listening on electronics that already had most of their environmental impact in manufacturing. And chances are we're going to get new ones eventually because they bring so much value to our lives. So even though this is a shift in consciousness still within business as usual, 
And even though, yes, the iFixit website has Black Friday deals coming up and they are a business who want us to buy stuff, for me, this is about shifts in direction, shifts in orientation, even by a few degrees. From how I'm viewing the great turning right now, about shifting in any ways possible toward more loving, more life-honoring, more life-sustaining ways, I do see this redirection toward more respect for the materials of devices as a significant shift. I'm going to include links in the show notes to the iFixit website, including their page about e-waste, a couple of articles about planned obsolescence, the U.S. Right to Repair Bill, and France's Repairability Index. So dive in if you're interested, and let me know what you think about all of this. I am genuinely interested to hear. On to the holding actions dimension, I want to bring to your attention the Indigenous Environmental Network, the Western Mining Action Network, and the Climate Justice Alliance. The work that these three groups are doing overlaps with shift in consciousness and life-sustaining systems, as these three dimensions often do overlap. These are groups of passionate people working hard and with love to stop harm and promote life-sustaining ways, who I know you'll be glad to know about and many of you might really resonate with and want to support them in some way. The Indigenous Environmental Network, IEN, was established in 1990 here within the United States as a grassroots organization of Indigenous peoples and individuals coming together to address environmental and economic justice issues. IEN's activities include building the capacity of indigenous communities and tribal governments to protect sacred sites, land, water, air, natural resources, health both of people in the community and all living things, and to build economically sustainable communities. The network is consistently active in many types of holding actions, and keeping up with their blog is a good way to stay up to date on what's going on. Recently, they've posted about a protest and spiritual walk organized by White Mesa Ute in opposition to the White Mesa uranium mill. They've shared about holding Congress accountable for just, effective legislation on fossil fuels, and protecting drinking water and the Great Lakes from an oil pipeline, among many other things that are going on right now. Through the Indigenous Environmental Network, I became aware of the Western Mining Action Network, who bring together people from mining-affected communities and allies working in legal aid, scientific support, and environmental NGOs for cross-cultural knowledge sharing, elevating Indigenous voices, leadership development, and training in environmental advocacy and democratic organizing. They have a conference coming up, co-hosted with the Reno Sparks Indian Colony, to increase awareness of mining in the Great Basin area that is threatening local communities, while addressing the social and environmental impacts of mining across the U.S. and Canada. They'll be talking about efforts to save the sacred site that we know as Thacker Pass, which I discussed in the last news episode, two episodes ago, to protect that site from proposed lithium mining. They'll be talking about mining for energy transition technologies, 
Mitigating Climate Change and Indigenous Rights. Both the Indigenous Environmental Network and the Western Mining Action Network are talking about the idea of a just transition from an extractive economy to a regenerative economy, which you can learn more about from the Climate Justice Alliance. The vision is that the transition to waste-free production and consumption is just and equitable, which means that it redresses past harms and creates new relationships of power for the future. So the term just transition represents a whole variety of strategies to transition communities into thriving economies that provide dignified, productive, and ecologically sustainable livelihoods, democratic governments, and ecological resilience, so deeply rooted in the environmental justice movement. To me, these types of actions are the epitome of holding actions. They aren't about stopping people, stopping humans from harming other than humans, water, other animal species, trees. They're about protecting all of us alive on Earth, people being very much included. You can find links in the show notes to the Indigenous Environmental Network, the Western Mining Action Network, and the Climate Justice Alliance. On to the life-sustaining systems dimension, let's talk about sponge cities. People around the world are recognizing that more green and blue infrastructure in relation to gray infrastructure improves a city's resilience in the face of both floods and droughts. Green and blue refers to plant life, grass, trees, gardens, as well as water, ponds, and rivers. And gray refers to buildings and pavement. There's now this idea of sponge cities, which are urban areas with lots of blue and green, so they can absorb rain and prevent flooding. This is right in line with my conversation with Charles Upton in the last interview conversation episode, talking about all the things he knows how to do right on the ground wherever he is, like absorbing more rainwater, collecting rainwater, which can provide water there on the site, reducing water demand from elsewhere, cool the local air on a larger local scale, which lessens the urban heat island effect, and can bring back rain. Experts are now talking about how cities need to be designed like giant sponges so they can absorb water rather than be vulnerable to such devastation from floods or from water shortages. At least 700 million people, and that number is growing, live in areas where rainfall extremes have increased, as we saw with the flooding in New York last year. So the amount of ground covered by plants and by absorbent soil, and that absorbency is greater when the soil is healthy, another reason to continue increasing organic and regenerative farming, the amount of ground available to absorb really matters. So cities around the world are adding green spaces, like Freetown in Sierra Leone, which has been hit by landslides, where they're planting trees to help prevent that type of disaster in the future. And Tirana in Albania is creating a ring forest to clean the air and put up a boundary on urban sprawl. And researchers in Central Park in New York City are studying how climate change is affecting the park and how best to continue to care for the ecosystems of the park. In the show notes, you'll find links to read more about sponge cities and the Central Park research. 
Thank you for listening today. I'm looking forward to our November full moon episode, a conversation with two of the authors of a beautiful new children's book called Kipunamuk, Weachamun's Thanksgiving Story, which is a Native American perspective on the first Thanksgiving for young children. In the meantime, if you know someone who would appreciate this news episode or one of the conversation episodes, please share it with them. You can send them the link to turningseason.com, or if you're listening on a podcast platform like Spotify or Apple, click the little share icon and text or email the episode to them. And if you are in a personal journey of holistic healing and growth, if you're curious about how that weaves together with deep ecology and you're drawn to the deep well of wisdom in classical Chinese medicine, applications are now open for healing season beginning in January 2023. This is a 12-week online small group program that I host, and it's rooted in Chinese medicine and the work that reconnects and includes learning Qigong practices. It's all about the connections between our emotions and our physical health and our pain for the world and what lights us up and how that leads us to our roles in the great turning. I will include a link in the show notes for today's episode for you to learn more about healing season, as well as links to read more about each of the stories I shared. I'll talk with you again on the full moon in November. Until then, thank you again for listening and for all the ways you play your part.